16. And we'll be looking at verses 13 through 23. Now, in chapter 14, the Apostle Paul has been talking about, if you remember, the informed Christian and the uninformed Christian, or the Christian that needs to develop his understanding more. And specifically, the uninformed Christian, also referred to as the weak brother, has not yet, in his spiritual progress, allowed his freedom in Christ to permeate every area of his life. All right, so he still feels bound by Old Testament taboos that come from the law. All right, remember, this, this is happening in a very unique time in history. Um, these Jewish people were living during Christ, and then his death and resurrection, and the switch from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. So this, is, this must have been very um, confusing, spiritually confusing. And now we have 2,000 years of church history and, and doctrine that the church has, has built upon this. And we've, un, we've been able to unpack and understand the scriptures. But for them, this was new. This was a change. And so the weak brothers are those who still feel bound in some way to the old covenant law although they wouldn't say it's a means of salvation they still feel bound to the old covenant law as a way of holiness and they're weak because they have not allowed freedom in christ to permeate every aspect of of life so here we are and now last week um he talked about, the Apostle Paul talked about not making, not, not creating boundaries around the Christian life that God himself has not created. So every man is bound by his conscience to agree. And we're going to talk that, about that again today. But the Apostle Paul wants to aim for unity here. And he doesn't want peripheral debates about food to get in the way of the Christian life. And he's going to tell us today that you're bound by your conscience and Christ, yes, Christ has freed you from certain things and taboos. But if you feel, if you honestly feel that your conscience does not allow you to partake in food and drink, and we'll get into maybe modern examples then you are bound by your conscience not to do that. All right? So let's look at verses, or chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, and I'll read this. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the work, the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good 
be spoken of as evil. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Amen. Is Halloween... A time where kids can innocently run around the streets and get free candy and dress up like a superhero and have a good time. Or is Halloween rooted in paganism and the demonic and death and does it exalt spiritual forces that are evil? Christians disagree. Do you, when you're drinking, are you dishonoring the Lord? And are you being very wise, very unwise as it begins to swirl in the cup and you give yourself over? Or is it your freedom in Christ to have a drink? Should you wear a dress? All the time, make sure you're covered up and you're being um, a good steward of your body, or, or are you free to wear what you, what you feel is, is right to wear? And as long as you're being modest, that's a good thing. Christians disagree. Are guns... Are gun, do guns belong in a citizen's hands? I mean, we've seen many atrocities committed by people who have guns. Or, is it our right to have guns? Is it our right to protect ourselves with, 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 um, with weapons, automatic or not? Christians disagree on these things. Now, I happen to have an opinion on every one of those things that I just told you. Some of my opinions on some of those strings, things are stronger than others. Uh, but I do have an opinion on every one of those things. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell you them right now. But um, here's, here's, here's what I will never do. Uh, and I hold me to this as a uh, here's what I will never do by God's grace. I will never do. I will never make my opinion on any one of those things 
the door to the kingdom of God. And I will never make my opinion on one of those things, the thing you have to go through in order for me or the church to consider you a Christian. Those are my convictions based on my conscience. And I think Christians can have differences of opinion on peripheral issues, even though we might consider them very important. I didn't even mention vaccines. But even though we might consider them very important, what I will not do, and what, should, what I should never do from the pulpit, is talk about one of the things I just mentioned now, and say, if you do not do this or abstain from this, you are, you are outside of Christ. Because that's not what the kingdom of God is about. And it's unrealistic to think that true unity is going to equal uniformity on every single issue. Right? <clears throat> so what I'm going to do, though, is I'm not afraid to bring up my opinion on these things. And I'm not afraid to talk to you about it, to agree with you, maybe to register caution or to disagree with you, and try to lovingly, patiently, firmly try to show you the way more accurately. I will do that, but I will never say that my difference of opinion on you is the door that you need to walk through to be saved. Christ is the door. And I want you to go through him. And I don't want my opinion to be a stumbling block for you. I want Christ to be a stumbling block for you. I don't want my attitude to be the thing that turns you off from Christianity. I want Christ's attitude about him being the only way, the truth and the life, to turn you off about Christianity. Okay? So there are things... We must do, and things we must trust and hold to, but then there are secondary issues. And the secondary issues shall not be, shall not be the door to the kingdom. Only Christ is that. So, I would like to unpack this text with that in mind. First of all, Let's look at um, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block in the hindrance of a way of a brother. Has anyone, I'm sure you have, you've been driving down the road and there is a roadblock and you need to get to a certain place or there's, there's traffic <coughs> There's a, they blocked the road off. The problem with roadblocks is it adds complications to your trip. The problem with roadblocks is it slows you down. It frustrates your trip, and it, and it reroutes your progress, right? The Apostle Paul is saying, don't be that. Don't be someone who slows down reroutes and frustrates a brother's progress in Christ or a sister's progress in Christ because of your conviction about something 
which scripture does not make a firm statement on. Do not, literally, the passage is, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather judge this, how never to decide to put a stumbling block. So the thing you should be analyzing, judging, is how to not become a stumbling block to the brethren with the convictions you have. Um, do not allow your conviction on secondary issues to become the thing that reroutes and slow downs a brother's progress in Christ. In verse 14 then, Paul says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now when Paul says nothing is unclean in itself, he says this in reference to Jewish taboos that come from the Old Testament law, right? So think contextually, because certainly, if you read the Apostle Paul, there are things that are unclean. Do not be deceived, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, neither, neither idolaters, nor sexually immoral, nor homosexual, nor homosexuals, nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God, nor swindlers, nor revilers, nor thieves. So there are, there are things, don't be deceived. I love how Paul says don't be deceived because people can coax someone in to doing something and, and make them believe that this is actually not important to the Lord. Meanwhile, there is nothing but swords and snakes and danger along that path and wounds and death. So there are things that are unclean, but Paul is talking about Jewish taboos that come from the Old Testament law. Please, please join me in reading the Bible realistically when we read it. Read it like someone's talking to you, because that's what someone is doing. The, the Holy Spirit is talking to you through the writings of the Apostle Paul and other men. Um, so, with that said, it is unclean to anyone who thinks it is unclean. So on these gray matters, the Apostle Paul is saying, every Christian is free or bound by his conscience on these secondary issues. And if you have, if you do have opinion, an opinion, it would be helpful if you could point to a text in Scripture and say, here's why I think that. Or here's why I don't do that, here's why I do that. If you can do that, point to a text in Scripture, then who am I to say you're right or wrong? I am not the authority. Christ is the authority. And Christ happened to give authority to the apostles who happened to write certain letters to us in the New Testament. And we're reading one of those letters right now. So when you look at the Scripture, when you obey the Scripture, you are obeying Christ. All right. So there is nothing, you're bound by your conscience. So there's nothing unclean about a bottle of wine, right? I think maybe some of you disagree with me. A bottle of wine. A glass of wine. Yeah. yeah, but many people don't see it as just a glass of wine. There are many people that don't see a glass of wine as just a smart evening. There are many people who see a glass of wine as representing a life of bondage from which they've been set free only through tears, loss, trial. 
and pain. A bottle of wine does not represent the same thing for you as it does for somebody else. Not necessarily. So there's nothing unclean about a glass of wine, but for the recovering alcoholic, it is very unclean. It would wound his spirit. And forcing your opinion or your freedom on that brother would reintroduce him to the very world from which he has been set free. So what is permissible for someone else is not necessarily permissible for you. Why? Because your weaknesses are not the same as somebody else's weaknesses. And the Spirit, I think, places hedges around your conscience because he knows your weakness that he doesn't place around another person's conscience because they don't have the same weakness. Um, Verses 15 and 16. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, grieving a brother by what you eat, what, what could happen here in this situation in the first century is Jews were converting to Christianity. And Gentiles, maybe, who, who felt more free and didn't have those taboos, you know, they're eating and drinking and they're freeing Christ to do that. They're eating foods, they're eating shrimp, they're playing football with pig skin, and, and the Jews feel very nervous about these things. And if the Gentiles are going to say, well, this is what it's about. This is what the kingdom's about. The Jewish person was going to, is going to turn around and say, well, there's nothing holy here. There's nothing righteous here. These are just a bunch of pagans baptizing their opinions. There's nothing right about this and true. That's the concern that the Jew might return to the synagogue and be cut off from Christ. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8, those who went to Bible study remember this. In 1 Corinthians 8, there were... Um, Meat was sacrificed to idols in pagan temples, and then those temples would go around and sell that meat in the marketplace. And if you bought meat in the marketplace, it could be meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And so some people were wondering, should we even buy meat from the market? And, and should, we, should we eat meat at all? And the Apostle Paul says, um, you're free. You are free to, to eat meat, whatever is sold on the market. But again, he makes the same conclusion that if you force that opinion on somebody, you could be reintroducing them to the world of idolatry that they were just freed from. Then in verse 17, the apostle says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay, Holy Spirit. That's my King James Version coming up. All right. Can we talk for a second? Are we good? Are we friends? Amen. All right. 
Um, there are things that the kingdom of God is not about. Please understand that. There are, th there are certain things that the kingdom of God is not about. So I saw, this is common, but a few months ago I saw you know, a picture online. And I don't know if you've posted this online, I, 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 but if you have posted something similar, I'm not talking about you. Okay? I'm not talking about any of you, but there's, there was a picture online that said, um, I stand with God. And it had a picture of a Bible with a gun on top of it. So, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. Okay? I can say with the utmost confidence that that's not what the kingdom of God is about. Now, you cannot call me soft. All right, I, I have more guns than you do. And I kill bears with bows and arrows. So you can't call me soft. And I used to be able to bench press a, a mule deer. So you can't call me soft on this. But I want to tell you that is not what the kingdom of God is about. And what you've done is you've glued your opinion about the Second Amendment onto the kingdom of God. So you've glued it on there, the glue's dried, and if somebody wants to take those two apart, they're going to rip. It's going to rip the other one. So if you force your opinion about things like that and combine them with the kingdom and stitch them into the kingdom, um, you're going to, when another person tries to undo it, the whole thing's going to be destroyed. And their conscience will be torn. Now, there's a now. Please snopes me on this, or fact check me on this, because I've tried. I've looked on the internet before, but I can't find snopes or fact checking websites talking about it. But apparently, apparently, there is a had just gone up in Georgia a billboard. All right, and the billboard says, "Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders." Now you know what that's from, right, Isaiah? Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, who do you think? Don't answer, but who do you think that's about in the scripture? Okay. We talk about this on Christmas, right? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of, the, of his government, there will be no end, right? So, anyhow, the, the billboard says, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And at below it says joint heirs, Romans 8.17. Joint heirs, Romans 8.17, the joint heirs thing, says, um, our passage says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we glorify, that we might be glorified with him. So, 
Two things, two verses. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Romans 8, 17, with a little hashtag, joint heirs. With a picture of Donald Trump on the billboard. <clears throat> 2024. I am so grieved. I mean, it's laughable. But I am so grieved at that. Because what that does, what that is, is blasphemy. And there are good, well-meaning Christians, I think well-meaning Christians, who have this kind of attitude when it comes to political things. And what we are doing, we are very, me, me, speaking as, my first Facebook picture, profile picture, was me with my muscles showing, holding a shotgun, okay? Me, good American boy, hunting, playing baseball, I, I, conservative, Bible book, me, I'm saying this. We are making the kingdom of God into a den of political activism in Christianity, and it is very very dangerous. And if that's what the church wants, beware that the Lord just doesn't give it to us. And if we want that as our Messiah, beware that the Lord doesn't give us that. He gives people up. Right? Okay. I love you. Know that? So, we need to be careful not to take our personal convictions on certain issues and baptize them with the scripture or glue them onto Christianity as if they were indistinguishable, as if they were the same. We're telling, then if we do that, we're telling the world that the kingdom is about this. And we're dressing up the kingdom in our personal opinions and even convictions on non-kingdom-related issues. The kingdom of God is about righteousness. If you believe in Christ, your sins, though they be as scarlet or as white as snow, forgiven, in Christ there is no condemnation. And then you are called to be holy, for he is holy. Righteousness. Peace. John told me, and I agree with him, that peace is not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God's kingdom in a person in order to bring peace. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace wanters. It's one thing to want peace and create chaos. It's another thing to want peace and to pursue peace. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Interestingly enough, joy is a moral category in the scripture. It means it's something you are called to. That's the, I need that. I need that. 
Joy is something you're called to, not some kind of sentimental shine up your problems joy, but a joy that clings, trusts, and knows who your Redeemer is, and knows that as soon as your eyes close in death, they will open up in the land of the living, and that is a source of great joy in Christ. Then Paul, then Paul says, whoever serves God, whoever serves Christ like this is acceptable to God. Not in eating and drinking, but in these things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then pursue, verse 19, not just want, pursue what makes for mutual peace and upbuilding. Two things left. The Paul gives in verses 20 through 23. He gives an admonition to the strong and an admonition to the weak as I see it. He says to the strong, essentially he says, we should not for the sake of secondary issues destroy the work of God in the ways that I've mentioned today. Do not for the sake of secondary convictions destroy the work of God. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. That doesn't mean your faith in Christ. That means your conscience. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So if you have no reason to pass judgment on yourselves, on the issues we've, I've just brought up today, praise God. But don't make that, don't make that the essential thing to the kingdom. Then to the weak. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Be attentive to your conscience. Again, I believe that the apostle, again, I believe that, um, that God has given us, the Holy Spirit puts, it, puts hedges around your conscience that he doesn't put around another person's conscience because he knows where you will fall. He knows your particular weakness. And he puts hedges around your conscience for a reason. So, to sum up, I have a few things, a few maxims. Number one, never make your opinion the door to the kingdom of God. That's number one. Make your opinion not the door to the kingdom of God. Rather, judge how to promote growth. Number two, you are bound by your conscience, Christian. The Lord has placed a hedge around your conscience for a reason. Number three, do not take this to mean that there are no issues that are important that we should debate and even die for. John says, anyone who denies Jesus 
has come in the flesh or is the Christ is a demon, is demonic, it's unspiritual. Die for that. Die on that hill. Anyone who denies that Christ has come in the flesh. Don't be deceived about the world's opinions on morality. And don't be drawn in by the fashionable issues of the day. Because neither the homosexual, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God. This is strictly, this sermon is strictly, and this text is strictly focusing on secondary issues where there is not a clear word and it's left to your conscience. There are clear, clear words in Scripture, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the unclear word and the opinion. So don't get it twisted to think, well, it's everyone's conscience and people have different consciences and you know no there are essentials there are matters of obedience and faith but on these peripheral issues don't make it in your life prioritize the kingdom of God I've been thinking about this lately prioritizing the kingdom and there is so much distraction today so much distraction from any kind of media, whether it's social, entertainment, even, even the, the basic things we have to do during the day, let us not be tempted into being mentally and spiritually forgetful about the kingdom. The kingdom is about righteousness that you've been given. It's about holiness of life to represent Christ well, to build upon his work, not with rock, hay, or stubble, but with precious things, precious things, like joy and forgiveness, and seeking the face of the Lord, and raising your family to fear and love God, about helping marriages about sacrificing and playing worship for the church, about overcoming sin and temptation in your own life as, a, as an act of worship. About leading others who were once lost, once lost, to be found in Christ. Those are precious things. That's precious to the Lord. Prioritize the kingdom in your life. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only wise God, 
be glory and majesty and power and dominion now, before all time and forevermore. Amen and amen.